you know, when you tell a young person that a mother intentionally chooses to take the life of their unborn child, it is a shock to the system. It is a breaking of the innocence. That's the voice of Family Foundation President Victoria Cobb sharing how God gave her a heartfelt conviction for the sanctity of human life when she was a teen and how that eventually led to her becoming a leader for the pro-family movement in the state of Virginia. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman with Victoria Cobb. All right, well, I am super excited to get into today's show because we get to talk about your story, Victoria, and I do think a lot of our listeners have not had the opportunity to really hear a lot about your personal life, how God has worked in your heart. So I'm looking forward to this. And I also thought, in light of the fact of everything that is going on with the Dobbs decision, that we should talk about this because we are in a momentous cultural moment. And I know, Victoria, that this issue specifically is significant for you uh, This because you have a really um, strong, heartfelt conviction about the sanctity of human life. This is what got you in the whole pro-family movement in the first place. And let's just start by, can you tell us about how God started tugging at your heart when you were younger? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting because I now have children the age I was when I was being sort of pulled into the pro-life movement. And I think, wow, that is really young. So I didn't grow up in my immediate family. They weren't highly political. And I wasn't it wasn't like we were all about the issues and we were talking about that at the dinner table. It wasn't like that at all, actually. But I did go to a Christian school. And at the Christian school, these things would come up. And in my sixth grade year, I had a teacher who was particularly culturally engaged. He was obviously a guy that, just like I am now, pays attention to what's going on in the world around him. And so we had, you know, assignments and they would be infused with cultural discussions. And so it was around that age, maybe a year before that, that I learned about what abortion is. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, when you tell a young person that a mother intentionally chooses to take the life of their unborn child, it is a shock to the system. It is a breaking of the innocence. I've watched it happen as my children have learned about that. And for me, that was something that really like just pulled on me. So when we started doing assignments where we were supposed to um, engage with the culture in these assignments, Abortion was on my mind and on the minds of many others. So we actually had a speech competition. I remember this. We had to do these persuasive speeches. And I had a friend that did one on why abortion is still wrong in the case of rape and incest. I had never heard that. And her point was that God designs every human life. And no matter the circumstances that that child would be born into or the circumstances that created that child, she is given and blessed and she's a blessing by God. And I just, or he. And so anyway, I, it started pulling on my heart. And then of course we had to write, this is a really interesting assignment because my kids have never gotten this assignment, but we had to write a fictional story that included a cultural issue. So I actually wrote about being the judge that was the chief justice of the Supreme Court. And it was supposed to take place in 2032. So you know, fast forward a little bit more. Um, but it was the person that theoretically was hearing the case to overturn Roe. And it was this whole story how she was post-abortive. And, and I look back. So I found this story about two years ago. And I look back and I think, wow, I really was kind of um, very pressed into this, knew a lot about this for a young age. So imagine the conversations. I don't remember all the classroom conversations, but um, to understand the issue and write about it like that. Maybe in some ways that's God's way of showing you, Victoria, I had this plan in your life way back then that you couldn't see fully, but that, you know, I was planting seeds in your heart 
Oh, I mean, I absolutely knew at that, like from that age on, I knew I wanted to do something to help the unborn. And so, you know, the path wasn't perfectly clear. God doesn't, you know, he gives you like passions and callings, but he doesn't necessarily tell you all your steps. Right. So I, I thought it was something in the legal realm because I thought if somebody's going to overturn Roe, it has to be a judge. You have to be a lawyer. So I kind of went down that road. You know, I thought I was going to go into that profession and a little ways into that. I mean, literally in college, I was still pre-law, still tracking. I kind of discovered, oh, there's this advocacy side, you know, that it's not just a judge. There's all these other components. There's public policy, there's hearts and minds. And so um, it was a little bit just sort of peeling back the layers and realizing, wait, there are people working to change the laws now. You don't necessarily have to be the judge on the Supreme Court because, you know, there's only going to be nine of those people that get to hear actually hear the case. And that's a that's a pretty hard path. Well, there's a lot of people out there today whose hearts are kind of deadened toward the issue of abortion because they've been inundated with messages either telling them that it's not an actual human life or even that even if they acknowledge it is that we should celebrate a woman's control over her own body over and above protecting human life. So what I'm just still curious as a young you're a young teen or a preteen. Yeah, this was 1989. I mean, what really woke up your heart? I mean, is that just the calling of God or I, I was think there something? It is. I've always yeah. felt that God absolutely put that extra weight, right? Because there's lots of issues to be concerned about in our world. Why was I uniquely just so passionate about this? I don't know other than God just called me. And I tell people, you know, once I finally got into this work, um, doing this just feels like all my talents and gifts and how God created me all aligned for his purposes, right? So he put the calling and equipped me with what I needed. And it just feels like I I, tell, I, I compare it to, and this doesn't work for younger people, but I compare it to Chariots of Fire when he says, I run, I feel God's pleasure because he was born to run. I believe that God made me for a purpose. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's kind of how I feel, like, because I've always been passionate about this and I've always wanted to do this. And now I actually get to contribute to that, which is pretty amazing. A lot of people don't get to actually, you know, in their occupation, be able to do exactly what they think God called them to do. It's very, it's very, it's a blessing. Right. And I've been talking a lot when I speak to people about these verses in the Bible that tell us that God created us specifically to do, uh, to accomplish his redemptive purposes in our, in our world around us and our culture. What it says is that he created us to do good works he had prepared in advance. And so when you think about that, everybody, every believer in Jesus has a unique, specific redemptive role that God has assigned for them in this world. So it's, it's pretty exciting. And you are leading people to wake up to that call and no one can doubt, having seen your leadership over the last few years, that your gifts have come together for that specific purpose. Thanks for tuning in. If you're just now joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. For more information about us or the topics we're addressing, you can visit familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. Uh, let me just ask you something else here. You've talked before, Victoria, in addition to spiritual conviction, how God used the mentors in your life. Tell us about how your grandmother was one of those people for you. I had this grandmother who just absolutely was all about two things. She was about her about her faith and she was about the world around her. And so when I saw my grandmother, all, everything was, I mean, if you looked at her bookshelf, it was all going to be either spiritual or 
or political or mostly how they mix together, why your faith should propel you to action. Like and, Francis Schaeffer. Oh, or all, all of that. You <laughs> yeah. know, um, you know, so this is I, I'm dating myself, but, you know, you have the VHS tapes that record oh my things goodness, on television. Are, yeah. I know I'm really I'm admitting how old I am. But literally, she would have more D. James Kennedy sermons. Why? Because he was the guy that was so if you looked at all the preachers out there, he was the one that was really prompting people to use their faith to help shape America to be a place of religious freedom and a place where there's life. And so just who she read and heard, and I looked up to her, she was an amazing woman. And I just, you know, so I saw it modeled and she, you know, was engaged in just even local issues. I just saw somebody who realized my faith isn't just something that I go to church and worship with. It's actually something that I'm supposed to use to be a light. And what would your encouragement then be to grandparents listening to this or parents about how they can encourage their kids to have a biblical worldview? Kids are watching. Kids are listening. Kids are seeing what you're doing. They pay attention to what you're passionate about, right? So, like, I knew this was a passion point of hers. You know, I knew what my parents were passionate about. It's important to realize that your kids, you know, if all your time and energy is, is outside of your faith, why would they think that's super important to grab onto and make a part of their, you know, the bulk of their, you know, how they decide to live their lives? So I, I do think we underestimate how much those things impact our children. Well, jumping ahead to the older Victoria, so to speak, the one who eventually becomes president of the Family Foundation, just tell us real quick some of the most significant moments in your life during that adult period, especially, you know, as it relates to this abortion issue that we're talking about. Well, I mean, I think we're in a unique role in our organization as we battle on the life issues to hear um, testimony of people that are on both sides of this issue. And so you hear some really horrific things and you learn some horrific things, but there's also the personal side, right? So it's it's kind of all of this starts to play. And honestly, for me, I tell people I was pro-life by my faith when I was young. It was a matter of this is what God says about human beings and the value. And then I learned science and it was like, wow, we are amazingly put together in that unique DNA. But the real personal thing that makes it just become so much more impactful was even being in the pro-life movement was that moment that you see your first ultrasound, right? I mean, I my first ultrasound was actually at six weeks. And, you know, that unborn child is tiny on that ultrasound. You can't, I mean, it is not a large movement, but you hear a heart that's pretty unbelievable if you just sit back if you don't have political views about this if you don't you can't help but be absolutely in awe of a god that could create something that is kind of the size of like a lima bean really that has a beating heart i mean that's amazing amazing when you think about put it like that well and you've experienced this on the the sorrow part of uh, on the side of losing human life as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we uh, we had our first was a miscarriage, an ectopic pregnancy, actually. And so you also learn how valuable that human life is through the grief that you have um, because you just realize, wow, I just this was such a blessing. Even before you got to see that child outside the womb, even before you raised that child, you knew how wanted and loved that child is. And so, yeah, you um, you can be pro-life academically, you can be pro-life for your faith, you can be pro-life because you've seen ultrasound, you can also be pro-life as you realize the grief that comes with that loss of life. Yeah, and I want to be sensitive to how I say this, but I guess having experienced that loss of life for women that have gone through miscarriages, I guess in a way that can really make you more sensitive and wake you up more, right, to 
what's happening in our culture where people are trying to pretend like it's not because you've experienced this grief didn't come from nowhere. Correct. And I think there's a denial that happens. The only way somebody goes through an abortion, I've heard lots of testimony to this effect of women who have had abortions and then now see themselves as pro-life. They will tell you that they numbed. They, they numbed themselves to the pain. They denied what they were actually feeling. Um, an old neighbor of mine described it. She literally said she got into addiction as a way of numbing what she had done because she knew it was a life. She knew that that life was gone and that her life was her life was forever changed by that decision. And so there's maternal instinct that God gives us. And um, you, you have to sort of tamper that down and let society drown that out, um, which is so hard for so many women. And there are so many post-abortive women who probably are listening to this and they know the difficulty of that. And we have to be so sensitive to that. Yeah, that leads me into as, as we've moved forward on this issue, tell us about how people need to be sensitive to the uh, pro-life clinics in neighborhoods around them? So I'll tell you, I have a center, an abortion center, within a mile of my house. And having been in all these rooms where you hear the testimony, you know exactly what's going on inside that center. I actually heard that center's director testify in a hearing. And they, her and several people, after they testified, left the committee room singing we're off to do an abortion in a um like a cinderella oh, wow. was it cinderella yeah, or, or wizard that, of oz like that oh wizard of, of oz that's what it is yeah, it was in the oh. wizard of oz tone and it was um it was like they were doing it on purpose right to um just to i, I think make light of how serious the whole situation trying had been. to numb again correct dead exactly spirit. and i will tell you ever since then i began to pray every time i pass this abortion center i pray for what's going on in there and it's great because it has caused me to have such a heart um, because you can't pray for something and not have your heart turned towards those who are impacted by it. And so um, that center gets a lot of prayer from my family. What is hard is that there are um, about four churches that are also within about three miles of that abortion center. And I don't think any of them are engaged in a concerted prayer effort around that center. And I think about, we talk about loving our neighbors. It is a literal neighbor to several churches and there's just no connection, no engagement. It's like we pretend that it's not there. And, uh, you know, I always in my mind liken it to that, you know, in Nazi Germany where, you know, the church would sing louder so they didn't hear the trains go right. by. I kind of feel that way about the churches that are in this neighborhood and aren't really praying for or talking about the fact that we have this going on right here, you know, across the street. May God continue to just break our hearts over this issue, to give us sensitive hearts, um, and to just have tender hearts that break over the things that his heart is breaking over. That is my prayer for this nation and the state of Virginia. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.